Hey, this is Jeff. Grab yourself a cup of coffee and join us at the table as we talk to another great leader about faith, church, and leadership. Welcome to the Leadership Drip. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Leadership Drip. Man, we are excited about our show today. We have Allie Worthington on. She is an author, a speaker, a podcaster, full-time encourager, and her show is literally, I think, one of the best podcasts on the planet. So she hosts a conference for women focusing on business, faith, and living life well. And Allie, thank you so much for being on the show. We are so glad you are here. Rob, Rob I've, got, I've got goosebumps. Like she is podcast royalty. Like I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, Jeff's, Jeff's fanboy over here. He's, he's fanboying a little bit. It's, a little it's bit. Great. We've had I, some guests. I don't, this is like, I don't see him sweat too often, but right now he's, he's getting a little verklempt, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so. <laughs> with an intro like that you know we're gonna have fun oh yeah, yeah oh yeah oh yeah, yeah oh yeah Allie there's a rumor I want to clarify that in college you were a zookeeper I was so when I was in college the Knoxville Zoo made the crazy decision that they were going to give people without a degree volunteers access to animals like I I was chopping ice blocks to feed the polar bear I took care of the penguins. I took care of the giraffes. I have a scar on my leg from a mama penguin who thought I was going to try to get her eggs. I was not, oh my just for the record. Um, now you can't do that. Now you need to, you know, be official, a scientist. But they let this crazy college student volunteer with the animals. I thought I was going to be a zookeeper for a living, but I learned in college. I, I mean, I had a, I had an idea before. I learned in college. I was definitely not good at science, nor was I good at math. So, so my life went in a different direction. So hang on, a, a mama penguin went on the attack, mm -hmm. is that? Oh yeah, and now imagine this. So I'm in a room, the room smells like ammonia, like it, it's rough in there. <laughs> I'm trying to clean out where they're living. I have a spray, I have power sprayer. And where they're nesting with their babies, they're just a mat in big plastic like dog kennels. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm just minding my business cleaning and I never saw her. I really thought for a second, has someone shot me in the calf? Because I couldn't see anything. She just came out of nowhere, pow, pow, bit me on the back of the leg and went back in to guard her babies. You don't mess with a mama penguin. Well, there, that, are, preach, probably. there are more leadership lessons in that story than we have time to unpack on this show today, okay? Mama Penguin. I'm writing that down Mama right Penguin. Okay. That, one. that is all. And, and right here in Knoxville, you know, we're not too far from Knoxville. Yeah. We're just about mm -hmm. 45 minutes kind of south of, of Knoxville right here in Cleveland, Tennessee at the good old Lee University. So, uh, again, I mean, just what a great story. A zookeeper. Oh, listen, I got great scars, but none of them from a mama penguin. No, me neither. They're from dumb things I did. Yeah. It's a good thing we weren't on YouTube like when we were younger because it's probably <laughs> bad. So anyway, so uh, Ali, you tell this story um, that God in Google uh, is in anything is possible. So how did you get started with just those two assets kind of in your, in your journey? Well, I was my, after college, I got married and we had about a million children. So my husband and I have five sons. So I spent years and years just raising the kids and became interested in entrepreneurship and started studying. And in 2008, um, because of the recession, we real estate was our downfall. We ended right. up mm -hmm. losing our home and going through our savings and filing bankruptcy and spending a summer living with my grandfather while my husband was sending out his resume to try to get a new job. And I just started Googling at McDonald's every day for the free Wi-Fi. Uh, how do you start a company? How do you start a business on the internet? 
And I, I joke that it was a laptop with missing keys, $42 in startup money in Google. And I learned just about everything that I needed to learn in those beginning months to start my first business. And that's wow. the great thing about the internet and all the opportunities that we have right now. You can just log on and learn most of it for free. Um, you got to trudge through a lot of garbage, but when you're really looking to learn something and you're looking to expand your knowledge and your reach and where you can go in life, the internet's the best tool that we have. So, so what was the, the first business that you got off the ground there? The, well, I, I, before then I had tried a few that failed. Um, but the business that finally took off at first was a conference, a conference for female entrepreneurs and writers and speakers. And then I moved into building websites that I could sell. And before I knew it, because I was kind of early in on social media and understood mm -hmm. how companies need to talk to people to be relatable. You know, this is when Twitter was brand new. This is right. 2008, 2009. I ended up joining Intel on their social media advisory board and working with companies like Disney and Verizon because they were learning how do we actually communicate in a way that doesn't offend people in this new era that we're moving into? Yeah. Man. So, so really, I mean, early on, it was like Twitter was a, just a broadcast. It was like just mm -hmm. blah. So, so how did you bring sort of the element of communication to large scale business? Because I think this is important for, for leaders everywhere because we want to get our message out. But oftentimes we're, we're not very conversational in how we do it. So right. how do we how do we convey a message that invites people in instead of repels them? I think the most important thing is writing like you speak because the problem is I see copy because now I spend most of my time coaching people as a business coach one on one individual business owners and they will show me something that when it's written it looks okay and I will get on a phone call with them or I'll meet them through Zoom and I go can you read that out loud? And they'll read it out loud and go, that sounds terrible. And I'm like, exactly, because nobody speaks like that. It's, we want, to, we want to have our language be a little more flowery than it needs to be. And we really just need to cut to the chase to figure out if you have a product to sell, if you have a service that you want to promote, what do people care about? What do they need? Put it in their own language and give it back to them. That's the way we connect with people. It's not using corporate speak and and the yeah. kind of things that look good written down sometimes. Yeah. Wow. I think, you know, for us, especially being on a, on a university campus, that's, mm -hmm. that's a really difficult balance to strike sometimes because in the two worlds between academics and, and leadership, you know, yep. the ease is a little bit different. Right. So right. I think yeah, even, even in my own leadership journeys is, as I'm trying to wrap up my own doctoral program, still one of the greatest challenges I have in writing is writing academically right? And teaching, speaking, leading in a non-academic way and sort of trying to bridge those two realities. So for you, what has been sort of, is, is there a formula? Is there a, a mechanism? Is there, is there a thought process that goes in sort of translating those more flowery, poetic kind of writings into more digestible pieces? Like what does that process look like? Mm, well, it's funny that you should say that because, uh, I will help my children with their homework, even the one that's in sixth grade. And sometimes I have to Google, how do I make this sentence complex enough? I, I've written four books and I don't know. Like I, I will occasionally help a child and the teacher will be like, it, it need, the writing needs to be a little bit better. I'm like, I helped him with this. I feel like this should be okay. <laughs> so I think that 
we sometimes, of course, we need the writing to be top notch. You know, you're in an right. academic environment. Yeah. You need the writing to be top notch. But essentially, to be able to broadcast um, in a way that people understand for the general public, if you're looking for a target market, you want to figure out what can I boil it down to? What is the simplest version of this told in the language that an eight to 10 year old will understand? One of the goals that I have whenever I'm building a website or I'm creating language around a product, one thing I do with a website, for instance, when you want to get the language at a point where people understand is I'll take a, a client's website that I'm reviewing. I will show it to one of my children. I'll show it to a 10 year old and go, what does this company do? And then what button do you think you should push? Like, where should the mouse go on this yeah. page next? What should you do next? And if an eight to 10 year old can't tell me those two things, you got to keep boiling it down to something very simple. Yeah. Here's who we help. Here's what we do. Here's what to do next. That's amazing. Yeah, that's and good. if we're really honest, there are eight to 10 year olds right now who could school us on technology. That's stuff, very right? true. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, you know, it's not, it's, it's simplicity, but it's also, but it's also sort of the, what, what we call sort of the first native digital generation, right? I mean, mm -hmm. our kids, your kids will never know what it's like to not have the internet or a yeah. smartphone or, or some kind of digital yeah. platform to work through. So yeah, that's pretty smart. Yeah. Help us understand this, Allie. You've done a great job of holding intention somewhere. And maybe it's not even intention. Maybe we just feel it. A faith in business. They often feel in opposition to one another. Um, or on opposite sides of the spectrum. But you've been a coach and a mentor to so many in saying they, they really merge and come together. So how do you see that? Not some, maybe not intention, but really how faith and business merge together into one stream. Well, there is such a tension, especially for women. So if there's women listening to this podcast, they've, they've felt it for sure. I started my career in the business world then moved in to the ministry world. And then since then I'm balancing half ministry work, half business work. Mm -hmm. But at one point, not as a speaker, my, my speaking agent, not the one I have now, but the one I had prior, I, I went to them and said, okay, getting a lot of women's um, Christian events, but I'd like to book more corporate events like I used to. And he said, oh, we can't do that for you. Hmm. I said, well, why? Uh, you book corporate events all the time. And he said, because you write books about Jesus now. So you're going to be too risky to business because women don't talk both business and faith. Not my speaking agent anymore, but it's that old. <laughs> I wish I'm well, but it's that old. Yeah. It's that old school mentality of um, if you're this, you can't be this. And I think because this is the first generation of people who are really working hard at this to go, Faith and business don't have to be different. They don't have to be separated. We don't have to bring Jesus into every conversation when we're working. I mean, I, I work with clients all the time that don't share my faith. It doesn't come into um, our conversations at all. They wouldn't appreciate that. But we do build a relationship and they see how I live my life. And that is impactful to them. But also God designed work to begin with. Yeah. Our work is important because whatever whatever desire he gives us, whatever dream he has us for what we're going to build or what career we're going to move into the future, that's God given. A lot of people start questioning, well, is this my desire and it's selfish or is this, is this a desire from God? And if our goal is to be an accountant and we're going to make sure we, we keep our clients out of jail because they pay their taxes, 
that's a good thing. We're helping the world. But if our desire is to be a professional gambler and move to Vegas, it might not be a God dream. You know, like right. it's pretty obvious what's a God dream and what, what we're just hoping for ourselves. So whatever it is, God's created us to work. He will make the world a better place by partnering with us so we can do that work. So there's no reason for it to be separated. It's yeah. the, the idea that the only important work or the only work that makes God happy is in the ministry couldn't be more wrong because God planned for someone to create a vaccine for polio. God planned for all for the internet. God planned for Amazon two-day prime shipping. Amen. Amen. So he, partnered, he partnered with somebody to do it, and it's all important work because it helps other people. And I think in our conversations on the show, which you know we focus a lot on young adults, uh, young adult leaders, especially in the local church, but um, one of the biggest trends in ministry, especially, are young leaders with what, what some people call a side hustle, right? Yeah. This sort of this entrepreneurial drive yeah. that especially exists in Gen Z. And so um, on a different show we, we had with uh, Adam Weber, we talked a little about, about the entrepreneurial spirit of, of young adults that's coming up into church, into ministry. And they're bringing sort of this ideology of both business and faith, which, which you're mm -hmm. talking a lot about. So for a young adult on our college campus who is looking to incorporate or integrate business and faith, what are some of those key principles and how you keep those, those things sort of in alignment and in the right perspective and, and how to balance the entrepreneurial spirit with not getting ahead of yourself and all those mm -hmm. kinds of things? Well, I love that you asked that question. Just this morning, I was in the kitchen with one of my sons and he said, so what is it that you do? Are you, are you in ministry? And what, what, do, what do you do? And I said, well, I do two things. So half my time is ministry work. Half my time is business work. But I spend, you know, a lot of my time in the business work. And he said, well, what's more important? I said, well, they're both important. And I said, but I make the money on the business side so I can do the ministry side. Yeah. And it takes pressure. I, like, I love the business side too, but that, that's how I support the family. That's how I keep a roof over our head. And, and I can do the ministry as well. Of course, we still make money in ministry because everybody has to eat and we all need shoes. Um, but the idea of so many people working in the church, but having the side hustle or, you know, writing or, you know, I'm, I'm working with someone now who is a wonderful pastor, but also is kind of doing a dropship company where she's, she's able to build something on the side. It pays her bills. She's able to focus in on the ministry. And I think generationally, like I mentioned before, we are a generation that's doing this first. We're pioneering in a way that's never been done before. And when we realize that whatever our interests are, they're God-given interests. They don't have to compete against each other. Uh, our work in our church and our work in our office, does, we don't have to take time away from that to be able to do other things on the side. That's good. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. And we've had other, and it seems to be, and maybe we, because it wasn't as accessible to us early on, um, but we've, we've had other young leaders, a Hannah Granowski, I don't know if you know Hannah, mm -hmm. um, from Generation Distinct and Carson Case. And it seems like everybody under the age of 25 or that in that age group, they are carving their own space in ministry and in business. Yeah. Like it, mm -hmm. it's almost like the, to them, there's not a delineation, but it's all who God created them to be which I think is part of the beauty of that generation. And, and, and I feel like our generation, I'll speak for myself, maybe 
it was they were separate you separated them out i went to work i did ministry and now i think there's a merger of those two things that says hey listen god's gifted me with this i can make it a resource and valuable to somebody else and provide for my family yeah um, exactly and and so help us and i know that i'm with this one part of the script but but this idea that that as believers and ministers, we can make money because there's an old adage or belief or thought that we were just poor preachers. Yeah. Um, so how do you help some of these pastors who are have a side hustle or whatever, whatever they want to label it, come to a place where they can go, hey, it's okay to make a, a profit and provide? Well, I mean, we can just look at people in scripture. They worked, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, people have always worked. People have always had work to do. And when we, when we put all of the pressure on, if we're working in the ministry or say you're a teaching pastor at a church, it's, it's not news to anybody that you're not going to be a millionaire from that. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it is, um, it's hard work. It's good work. So why not be able to do something on the side that pays the mortgage and you don't have to worry about it? You know, um, I think we've, we've always had the example of, of work and that works good and that we can do the ministry work as well as other types of work that financially pay for things. I mean, nobody I think who has a heart for the ministry is also spending time like, but how do I make $10 million this year? You know what I mean? It's more of how do I help other people? How do I make sure the mortgage yeah. gets paid? And how do I, how do I pay off my student loans? You know what I mean? Amen. And I think that's a really healthy perspective. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think in this particular direction, and, and I can't remember if it was Addison Bevere or somebody else we had on the show, but we talked a lot about secular saints, sort mm. of this, this drive for, um, for people who are doing the evangelistic work of the church in their cubicles, in their offices, in their businesses, in their corporations. And I think part of what we're seeing, what I think God is helping us unpack, and I think it's a beautiful thing, is that we're realizing maybe more than just lip service, that to be the body of Christ, to be the full expression of Jesus' hands and feet in the world, it's going to require us to learn to think and to function in areas and in arenas that we are perhaps not traditionally accustomed to. So I, I love this, this approach you're taking about, about faith in business, about, about faith in work. I mean, I think it's such a critical piece to not only just sustaining the church in the future, but, but really thriving now. And so mm -hmm. I, I just, I think it's such a critical conversation. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it's important because I think, like you said, as, as ministers, sometimes I, my grandfather was a preacher and I think, Same and in a church planter before church planting was cool. Like it wasn't even, you weren't a church <laughs> planter. You did new work or you like by built a church. He literally built the church, like with <laughs> the building with his hands yeah. and invited some people for chicken yeah. dinner. Um, yep. and, but I remember often him having other jobs. Um, mm -hmm. like it was not an, an opportunity for my grandfather to publish a book or a study to offset that cost. And I think, now having that opportunity, it alleviates the stress and helps, helps some of those ministers be free to minister more. Yeah. Um, and the church free to not feel like they have to, you know, overly, not overly provide. Cause I think a workman is always do worth his wage, but, but the strain of sometimes that of small churches and pastors and things like that. Um, 
So I think that's important. What's a, what's a good starting point for somebody who ministry or not wants to get started in a, in a small business and start creating income for their family? Well, it's twofold. The first is where, where do you, where can you either provide a service or create a product? So what are, what are you gifted at? Um, often we downplay our gifts, you know, but it's what, what do people come to you for? Maybe it's, um, you know how to do something better than everyone else. They go, oh, you're the guy who does this, or you're the girl who does this, or if you have a product to sell. So you want to identify first what you have to offer. Second, you want to identify what people will actually part with their money for. Mm. So if someone says, I have a dream, I'm passionate about this, I'm going to paint elephant toenails, and that's what God made me to do. That's great, but nobody's going to pay you for that. So you got to find that intersection of what you can provide and what people will pay money for. Once you get that, that's magic. Mm. But sometimes we forget that it's not just what we can do, but it's actually what people are going to be willing to pay for. What do they need? Whether, and, and every, all needs come down to something that's going to help them, something that's going to entertain them, something that's going to help their relationships something that's going to help them make money, education, products, or something that's going to help them be healthier. That's kind of the core drivers of product and service purchases, those things. And it can be as simple, like I said, as entertainment. I mean, we, we've bought all the Jim Gaffigan series when they come out because because we (laughs) will part with money because we want to be entertained you know but there has to be a driving force people have to wake up in the morning and go i need this i have a problem and i need to solve it with this or i need this product and if people don't care enough to take action about it it's not going to be a solid business to go ahead and start but the the fastest easiest way to start is always through providing services as opposed to products because there's not a lot of overhead you can, you know, it's like a kid in the neighborhood, you can go ahead and start mowing lawns, whatever right. it is that you can do. That's the quickest way to start the side hustle. That's cool. Okay, yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's kind of transition over to your latest book, uh, Standing Strong here. And in the book, you talk about a moment where everything kind of changed for you. You had this uh, successful conference, and then you gave all that up. So kind of talk us through what happened in that moment. God has this interesting habit with me of telling me when I'm done professionally with something. And it's funny because he often is more quiet when it's time to do something. He will kind of lead me in a direction. I'll get interested in something. Doors will open and I'll have to take that step to go through it. I'm not quite sure. But when I'm done with a certain part of my life professionally, he's very clear. Mm. Like he will, he will say in my spirit and I just know that I know that I know you're done your time here is over. And I think that sometimes we think about our parents' generation or even grandparents' generation. You go to college, you get a degree, you work at a job 50 years, and then you retire and you don't change. Yeah. And now we're in this world where we may change our career eight, 10, 20 times, and it's completely normal. And it's, for me, it's been fun to 
to be led by the Lord professionally. If this is what you're doing, it's time. Well, I'll say it's fun now looking back on it. It's terrible in the meantime. <laughs> it's the worst. In fact, it's, it tends to it tends to take me about a year to obey him when he tells yeah, me to, um, to stop doing something. Like I'm like a, I'm like a middle schooler, like stomping my feet up the stairs, angry that I have to obey. Um, but for me, it comes down to um, figuring out, do I want what God wants for me more than what I want? And do I trust him that the future is going to be mm. as good as the past? Because mm. that I tend to want to take things in my own hands and want to go, I, I have a great plan here, Lord. Thanks for telling me that it's time to do something different, but I'm good with this. Um, and every time I'm terrified. Every time he asked me professionally to lean into something else or that my season with something is over, I'm sure it's going to be terrible in the future. And it's always better than before because the best is always yet to come, but it's the worst in the process. Mm. So I think, true. I think that's a seven trait. Is it? I think so. Because I'm just like you, when I know it's cooked, it's over. Like it's really hard for me to, to stay focused, generate energy, exude mm -hmm. passion, you know, invest when, when God says it's, it's time to go. Now, like you scared to death of the what's next, but, but when it's, it's done, it's done. So I think, I think Allie and I have sort of this seven thing going on. Jeff as a two, can you help us figure that out? <laughs> I wish that's good because I feel like, I feel like there's been a several situations in my life where like Allie, it took me a year for to, not to hear the Lord, but to say yes to what he was doing. It yeah. was like, hey, Jeff, we're done. And I'm like, God, hang on, one more thing. I can help. I one can more, help. I can, let me do but one did more you, message. Did oh. you say we're done today or we're done in general and I have a yeah, little more right. time? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's how I feel about it. And, and so I think, I think that's, that's a, an important conversation just for anybody because I think by delaying that, we delay the things of God. Like right. where God's trying to move us. And listen, it's scary. Um, some of the things we've done recently, just they're scary. Yeah. Some of the steps we've had to make in starting this podcast, we thought nobody would come on. Like, I remember like, we, <laughs> that's a true story. We, we have a we're behind where you are and there's a whiteboard and we, I think we wrote guests and we made a list of people we wanted. And then we go, how are we ever going to get them on the air? <laughs> <laughs> like we were, we thought like, we'll just have to have professors from the university yeah. talk just to fill shows. So it's, it's often very scary to step into the things of God. But I, I don't, I don't know how we come to the place of going, it's probably scarier in reality to not be obedient when he tells us to move. Mm. Yeah, um, because the obedience is the one recipe for success. I yes. think yes. that we think that the more success that we have, the more confident we'll become, right? But the key to confidence is going, I know I'm obeying God. I know he's got me. I know my future is secure and I don't have to worry about what's next because he knows. So, so you, you strike that the key to confidence, you talk about confidence in the new book, where does that confidence come from? How do we, I hate to say obtain it, but really lay hold of confidence so that we can make the decisions and steps that God's leading us on. Yeah. I think that sometimes we think that confidence is something that we're either born with or not. Like mm -hmm. we have brown hair or blue eyes and we either were born with it or we aren't. Now to some degree, there are some people you meet that they're just confident, like They've been confident right. since they were a little kid. They're walking around in diapers, just all full of themselves, right? But to some degree, confidence is a skill like any other skill that we learn. Just because we, we aren't naturally confident doesn't mean that we won't develop 
the skill of being confident in the future. And confidence only comes through taking action. It's going to be a mess. It's going to be hard. I mean, you think about it when we're kids, we're walking around on wobbly legs, we're falling down all the time. And then eventually we get it. We don't just sit down and go, I'm just going to let my parents carry me around forever. But essentially as when we're in adulthood, we will try something, we'll not feel confident, self-doubt will creep in and we're going, we'll go, I'm just going to plop down and let God pick me up and take care of me. When God's like, I'm going to get you across that finish line, but you need to put on your shoes and lace them up and start running. Yeah. Yeah. And once we start going, once we take one step after another step after another step, it won't be so terrifying. And we'll look back and go, sure enough, I did it. That builds confidence. Yeah. What, what I find, and, and I believe you and I've seen it, and maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just the day we make confessions on the show here, Rob. <laughs> I've seen God do it over and over. Like I've seen God say, Jeff, do this, step into that. God promises, God comes through. Why do we, why is it that we always get hesitant on the next thing? Like when God goes, you're done here, here's the next thing. When I should be full of confidence because I've seen God do it, I go, mm, I don't know, Lord. Let's have a conversation about that. So why do we, we get sort of fearful even when he's been confident before? I, I do it almost every time. I don't know. Cause we're humans. Yeah. Cause the enemy takes advantage of our weakness and whispers. Everything's going to fall apart. God's always been there for you before, but what if this time, this is the time God wants you to suffer? I think that's what it is. That and that and our desire for control because man, we love to control things, don't we? Mm -hmm. It's, Mm -hmm. It's so true. And I think, man, this is such a critical conversation because there are so many pastors, leaders, ministers, business entrepreneurs out there who, who sincerely have, incredible ideas, incredible capabilities gifted by God to them to do great works for the kingdom. Ephesians chapter two, if we need to throw some Bible in there, right? Well done. Yeah. So if they, they, they exist and yet they're so untapped, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they're, they're so unexpressed in the kingdom. And I think, I think we pay the price for it. And so as a leader, I think part of our role and our responsibility, our job is to find ways to pull those out of people. And so again, putting you on the spot, what are some ways that you see leaders and you say, okay, you have this gift or you can do these things or you can create this service or whatever the product is. How do you pull that out of people besides confidence? And we know that that's part of the journey, but, but how do you pull that out of leaders? I think it's a mindset shift because as Christians, we are, we are terrified with good reason to be, that we're going to be prideful, mm. right? We're terrified that we are going to be full of ourselves or we'll develop the love of money or we'll replace God with something else. And we're going to be dancing around worshiping a golden cow. I think that's everyone's fear and with good reason. But when we realize that by not using the gifts and talents that are planted in us, it is actually hurting the kingdom that God gave us gifts and talents for a reason for him to partner with us to bring things to life in this world, whatever it is, whether, like I said, you're an accountant or a teacher or a pastor, whatever it is, he wants that done. He gave it to you for a reason. And when we think about stepping out in our gifts and building the dreams that we have and doing all of those things, we need to ask ourselves, if I do this, does it make God happy or does it make the enemy happy? 
because when we step out and we're, we have a God dream and we're moving forward, that is going to make the enemy unhappy. But mm. when we play small and we hold ourselves back and we use um, self doubt and we call it humility, that mm. makes the enemy happy. Mm, that's good. Because if God's given us something to do and we don't do it, the enemy's over there laughing. And God's like, I put this in you. Let's give it a try. Let's go for it. Trust me enough to step out. So sometimes it's just getting over the self-doubt that we have and getting over the fear that if we step out in faith and whatever God is leading us to do, that we will turn into, you know, horrible, prideful narcissists. Um, but God has a way of keeping us in line. Yeah. Yes, he does. You know, like <laughs> yeah. he, he's not, yeah. when we stay close to the Lord every day, he's, he's going to make sure we don't get out of control. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. got this. So it brings up an interesting question about self-doubt because I think we all wrestle it. What is our responsibility as a believer to wrestle out self-doubt? And what is God's responsibility in that sort of relationship? Because some of it is, is the fact that we just have these narratives of lies that the enemy gives us. And then God sometimes is, is in, involved in that, not in the lies, in, in helping us have confidence. Yeah. So what's the, what's the responsibility of the believer and what do we need to depend on God for? Well, I think, I think whatever we do, we're depending on God for, right. but sometimes we get not to, I'm not, I'm not trying to Jesus juke you, but sometimes <laughs> yeah. we think <laughs> they're Johnny like, <laughs> yeah, thanks John. Um, sometimes we're like, I'm just going to sit over here and wait on the Lord because everything yeah. can change when he decides to move in my life and I'll be ready when the Lord's like, I really need you to, I really need you to work on this. I really need you to lace up those shoes and start walking. I'm going to give you the strength you need. I'm going to help change you on the journey, but I'm here to partner with you, strengthen yeah. you, transform you while you're moving. I think way too often we go, I'm just going to wait on the Lord. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait till it feels right. I don't have peace about something right now. Sometimes yeah. not having peace is the Holy Spirit telling us to go, but far too often, I think we confuse feeling uncomfortable and stepping out of our comfort zone with not having peace. And then we just hold ourselves back. Yeah. Yeah. Cause anytime we try to learn something new, anytime we try to grow, anytime we try to step out, anytime, anytime we do anything, we're going to feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But if we think that feeling of, of feeling uncomfortable is a sign that we're not supposed to do it, we'll just stay on the couch and eat Cheetos all day. Yeah. And, and then you add into the equation, the unpredictably uh, impossible sort of control over the outcomes right so i mean it's it's i don't, I don't i'm not a negative nancy at all and i apologize no, to all yeah. nancy's out there in the world i'm sorry you got that <laughs> connotation but but you know uh we can't control the outcomes of these of these adventures that jesus wants to take us on mm -mm. and that's not our job it's it's not our not our call but but the faithfulness the obedience the dependency those things are what he calls us to and i think if we can keep that as the primary focus it doesn't necessarily ease the outcomes when they don't go our way but we certainly does add meaning and value to to possibly understanding the why behind the what i i don't know am yeah. i making sense right because no that makes perfect sense because yeah. the, obviously the goal in business is to is to make money you don't go yeah. into business to lose money right you don't do these side hustles just because you have spare energy right there's there's yeah. a purpose behind it so when they fail and as you said you've had a couple businesses fail and I've had magnificent fail. failures. Right? Yeah. <laughs> what can we learn from these things, right? And I think exactly. that's part of the resiliency that we need to help create and build 
as we create disciples. So um, anyway, I just, that idea of, of how do we handle the failure? Yeah, I think that's an important conversation. Um, one of the things, my, my wife's a, a teacher and she, there's some research and I, I can't listen. I'm not the teacher, so I can't quote where the research comes from, but she talks about one of the transitions in education is when they removed monkey bars from playgrounds and that the kids had to listen. If It's a struggle. Like the monkey bars are hard. Like if monkey you're going to cross and you're probably going to fall. Um, but it, it was tied to this resiliency in, P, in the students that the more they tried to perform on the monkey bars, crossing all the way, the more resilience it built up in them academically. And then when they remove the monkey bars, we quit seeing that resilience. It, it's an interesting study that, that there's something about the struggle that builds the resilience. Mm -hmm. um, something about the, the difficulty and pushing through the difficulty to get to the other side that builds the resilience to know that I can do it again. Um, but again, we had the conversation earlier, like I, I'm, I'm the number one guy to go, I did that. God told me to do it. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I got to go back to those monkey bars and try to cross again. Mm -hmm. um, and we sit in an interesting place here on campus, Allie, where at Lee University, about two thirds of our population is female. Mm -hmm. um, I know your son's at UTC. So if he needs a good woman, we've got him. So, <laughs> Amen. But, but what would you say to, to the populace here or, or young adults, young, young women everywhere about this confidence and resiliency in pursuing the God-given dreams? Mm. I think that it's very important to remember that what life looks like now, it will not look like that in the future. I think that mm. we think there's this idea that you go to college, you pick your major, you get a job, your life is set. Yeah. God is going to change your life over and over and over and over again. So if you are listening today and there is something in your life that you don't like, and you're like, this is just who I am. The past is always going to be the future. Know that God is a God of, of transformation and know that in every season of your life, you're not looking for some big purpose that you have to figure out. That's confusing. Our purpose is to choose Christ or not. And then if we choose him, yeah. love him, honor him, tell other people about him. Our calling is different in every season that you have adventures waiting for you that you can't even wrap your brain around, but you can't let yourself get in the habit of telling God, no, telling God that you don't have what it takes. You don't have the wisdom or the knowledge or the resources because when you partner with him, he's going to bring it. Mm -hmm. We just need to stay open and not tell him no with our words and not tell him no with our actions. Cause sometimes we would never tell him no with our words, but we tell him no with our actions by just staying still and not moving forward when he tells us to go. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's not help me. That's why she's in the Holy Trinity of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm going to just take a moment and, and, and just take all that in right there. That was just like, good. Great. Now I've got a counseling session with Jeff afterwards. Uh, that's why I pay you the big bucks. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Awesome. Allie, what inspired you to write this book, Standing Strong? What, what about this message did you feel needed to get out? I didn't want to write this book at all. Three years ago, two years ago, I started praying about it. Because I, I will ask God for every book. What's the next book going to be about? Some busyness, fear. And this one, he brought to mind a little part of a prayer. My mom used to pray over me every night. She used to pray that I'd grow to be a great woman of God, strong in my faith, and fearless as I face the future. 
So I pray and he, he brings back the thought, great woman of God. And I thought, well, that's, that's dumb. And didn't think about it anymore. If I could be that honest, because God, God is fine with me being honest. And a few weeks later, I was like, Lord, I'm going to start writing again. What's, what's the next one about? And he said, I already told you. And so I spent six weeks wrestling with this concept of what do you want to tell women? What's, what's going on? What do you want to hear? And it was this message of um, partnership that he has great things for women to do right now in this generation and that things were going to get hard. I didn't know what hard meant two years ago, but now as everything's unfolding, like, Oh, now I know exactly why you wanted that. So um, I went on a journey of figuring out what God wanted to say to women in this generation and what plans he had for them and what encouragement he had for them, um, even in a season that was going to be a little bit tough. Yeah. That's a great message. It's a good, it's a great book. Um, the book is standing strong. Um, so it comes out, uh, it's already out. It's so right. go pick it up, buy it, purchase it from Amazon today. Somebody created the Amazon today. So honor that person as well. Amen. Or Amen. Kindle or whatever you want to get. Everybody <laughs> created a platform to you to get this book and honor God with it. That's exactly um, it's right. a great book. So please go pick it up. Um, we have one final question, Allie, that we ask every person who comes on the show because we just like to know in one, we're on the college campus. Um, what is one lesson you learned in college that did not take place in the classroom? Mm. That it was not going to be my lack of knowledge or resources that would hold me back. It would be me that would hold me back mm -hmm. because as a, a very shy student in college, I would often shy away from any new opportunities because I felt uncomfortable. So I had to learn to put myself out there and push past being uncomfortable and push past feeling like I didn't have what it takes to join this organization or to, you know, reach out in different ways that it wasn't that I needed all of the things that I thought I needed to, to do whatever God was calling me to do. It was that I just needed to stop holding myself back. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I'm telling you what, this has been a great, great show. Great episode. I've got a lot of things to go back and review yes. as, as well to you, yes. <laughs> Jeff. Yes. Uh, and so there's a lot of crossroads and a lot of, lot of things happening, but uh, you know, we have enjoyed you having on your show so much. It's been a real joy to kind of get to talk to you again and Hopefully we'll get to see you again before the next passion conference or something like that. But just up the road. She's just, she just Nashville. Yeah, yeah. I'm just up the road. Just up the road, like yeah, as yeah. you're passing Literally. through. So, so her son's just down the road, though. Yeah. He's in UTC. Mm -hmm. He has to come by my house in order to get to her son. I just, I'm just saying. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. That's how it works. <laughs> we'll even buy the coffee. We'll even buy the coffee. <laughs> exactly right. You got it. You got it. Absolutely. Allie, thank you for being on the show. And as we always like to say here at the Leadership Drip, you have a seat at the table. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, friends. Great to be with you. Hey friends, thanks for listening to this episode of The Leadership Drip. We loved having you at the table for this conversation. Would you do us a favor and comment, rate, subscribe, and share on your social media? That way we can get this content to other great leaders. And stay connected with us on Instagram at The Leadership Drip and on Twitter at Leadership Drip. And remember, you have a seat at the table.